I'm Pastor Tan, and I'm the children's pastor here, and it's a privilege to be with you guys. Happy New Year, and I hope that you had a great time with, with family and friends celebrating and bringing in the new year. Over the couple months preceding uh, December, we were in a series called, the, called Passport Christians, and we were going through the book of 1 Peter. And we uh, took a break during the month of December and, and talked through the, the Christmas story And we are now in chapter 5. We are now in the final chapter of the book of 1 Peter. And last week, Pastor John brought us up to speed in chapter 4 and urged us to stop sinning and start serving. And he reminded us, I love this question that he gave to us, and it flows right into chapter 5. But he asked the question, if we lived with the urgency that Jesus was coming back today, that we firmly believe that in our hearts and our minds, that today was the day our Lord was going to return, how would that change the way that we are interacting with God and interacting with one another? It's a very challenging question. It brings a lot of perspective when we ask ourselves that question. And that same urgency Peter takes in to chapter 5. And he has a very important final lesson to give to these Christians who are being persecuted, who are suffering, who are facing incredible difficulties. Some of these Christians that he's writing to, they are losing their jobs because of their faith. Some of them are losing their homes because of their faith. And a lot of them will lose their lives because of their faith. But they will gladly give it because they know that following Jesus is worth more than anything And so this struggle is very, very real with these Christians, but Peter recognizes that there is something very important. There's a final message that he wants to give to them, and that is to be humble. It's the title of this sermon. It's very simple. But he wants from the oldest to the youngest to recognize that we need to be humble before God and to submit ourselves under his authority and his mighty hand And he wants us to be humbled towards one another as well, to see our need for one another. Because Peter realized that all of us have a sinful condition inside of our hearts that are bent on pride, that are bent on self-absorption. And he wanted the leaders of the church on down to the youngest in the church to recognize that we need humility, that we need Jesus. Pride is when we think of ourselves more highly than God and others. But humility, humility is kind of like the Batman to the Joker of pride, okay? Humility steps in, and humility is when we submit ourselves to God's way and look to the interests of others before our own. This pride, it seeps in. We're going to diagnose it here because none of us escape it. Pride seeps in when on social media sometimes, in our heart of hearts, we post a post, we put something out there, and really, really deep down, all we care about is that affirmation, those comments, those views, those likes. All day long after we posted, we're hitting refresh because we want to see how many more comments, how many more views, how many more likes. And we love it, we love it, it fills us up. It makes us feel good about ourselves. It makes us begin thinking that that we are something, that we are higher and elevated above others. 
and we like that. It's when there are household chores to be done, like folding laundry, doing dishes. The, the kids are on the floor playing. But husbands, I'll talk to you. You choose to sit on the couch and watch football and ignore those needs because you feel like your time doing that is more beneficial than serving your spouse or your kids. None of us escape this. It's when God draws you to see a need. He's put it right in front of you. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's a situation that he just, I mean, he serves it up on a silver platter right in front of you. And you know, you're convicted by it. You realize, you know, I, I, could, I could help. I have the resources. I have the time. I could invest if I wanted to. But instead, you choose to turn your head and invest your time and your resources into something that benefits yourself. That is another form of pride. It's when your parents are speaking instructions to you that are going to benefit you, that are going to prolong your life. But as a, as a child under their care, you hate it. You argue against it. You get mad. You run out of the, of the house. You run to your room. You slam the door, cussing them under your breath for how stupid they are and why they don't know what they're doing. I've been there. Praise God for grateful and patient parents. It's when you deeply worry and stress about situations that are outside of your control. It's when you stay up at night thinking and fretting and, and sweating over the problems that you're encountering. We're going to get to that later on in the chapter, but that is also a form of pride that says, I can carry these burdens that I have the strength to carry these burdens. And we fail to trust and we fail to relinquish them and humble ourselves before God. It's me. When I go to the grocery store looking for a special kind of frosting, and it takes me three times as long because I refuse to ask for help. You go into the grocery store and there's a million aisles and it's like, where on earth is this thing? I have no idea but it's a premeditated thought that I will not ask anyone for help. I've got this. It's looking for directions. When my wife says, why don't I just pull it up on the GPS? And I say, no, I'll, I'll find it. I'll get it. We've all been there. But this, these subtle forms, we can laugh about that, but all of us in this room are susceptible, are tempted by pride. We all desire in some shape or fashion to self-absorb and to think more about ourselves than others. That is the bent that all of us are born with and that Peter is addressing to this church. Peter wants all of them to know from the leaders to the youngest to be humble and to recognize that humility in Christ will move us to flourishing leadership, obedience, and trust. If you guys brought your Bibles with me, we're going to unpack chapter 5 and we're going to read it together. And so would you all stand with me? We're going to read chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 this morning. And if you didn't bring a Bible or you would like a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle and they would be glad to pass one off to you as a gift from our church. You can hang on to that copy if, if you need one. But 1 Peter chapter 5 we're going to read to verse 11. Ready? Read. 
To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. The first group that Peter is acknowledging and addressing in this final chapter are the leaders of the church. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them to be humble in their leadership. And the great news for leaders, and he gets to this in verse 4, is that the reason for this humility in both our leadership and our following and our trust, the model for that humility comes directly from our Savior Jesus, who Paul in Philippians 2 said humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Goes on to say that therefore God has highly exalted him, that at his name every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is the one that has ran the race perfectly. He has modeled this humility perfectly. He is the good shepherd that he wants the leaders of this church to look to as they lead the flock, the followers of God that he has placed in front of them. He says, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Good leaders do not domineer their leadership onto others. Good leaders are example that others want to follow. My coach uh, at Grace College where I played basketball, Coach Jim Kessler, one of the greatest leaders that I've ever met in my life. I would run through a brick wall if I absolutely, if he wanted me to do it, I would do it. Because he was an example. He was a man that I looked at and I said, you know what, when I'm 65 years old, if I was just like him, I would praise God 
I wanted to be like him. He loved me with everything in him. He was hard on me. He kicked me out of practice multiple times. And he let me know about it afterwards. But I never questioned his love for me. I never questioned his care for me. I never questioned his character and his trustworthiness. And most of all, his humility that he displayed to me and my teammates. And it drew me to a place where I wanted to follow him. I never had to follow him. And good leaders recognize that they don't domineer. They don't have to domineer their leadership. They don't have to dominate. They don't have to force people to come and follow. They recognize that as they look to Jesus, as they follow his example of humility, and as they exemplify that service to their people, that the flock will follow them because they want to, not because they have to. Good leaders will, are willing to answer the call of duty. It's not an obligation, Peter is saying. These leaders, these elders of the church, they are not going to be men that just kind of stand back in the shadows and say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll do it if, if I have to. I guess if no one else is signing up, then I guess you can sign my name to the sheet. Like I'll, I'll, that's, that's, that's not what Peter is saying here. He's saying elders of the flock are willing, leaders are willing to step forward by faith to answer the call of duty. They are men who are trustworthy to the people they lead. They are honest. They are transparent. They are eager to meet the needs by the wisdom and strength that God gives. They're examples that others want to follow, and they are humbled under the chief shepherd leader that they serve. One of the privileges that, that I have is being able to, to rub shoulders on a daily basis with guys like Pastor Jim and Pastor John and, and Pastor Mike and Pastor Jordan and Pastor Charlie. I love those guys. I've had to bend pretty low, but John and those guys have just kind of, they've taken me under their wing. My back is kind of starting to hurt a little bit. But I look up to those guys with everything in me. They are men, they are leaders that embody these characteristics that Peter is talking about. And as I was looking through this passage this week, I was just filled with gratefulness that we have leaders in this church that I serve alongside men who are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but are men that are faithful and love Christ with all their hearts and love you with everything in them. For many of you, as I look at your faces, we've cried for you. We've prayed for all of you. We've hurt with a lot of you and your loss. We think about you all the time. There is not a day that goes by where your faces and your situations do not cross in front of our minds. But it is a blessing, and it is, we count it a privilege as your pastors to serve you and to point you to Jesus. And my recommendation, as, as, as Peter goes on here, is we need one another. Humility looks at the community of believers and it steps into your life and it says, you need one another. 
And so God has appointed leaders. He has appointed elders to the flock to shepherd and to guide. I grew up on a sheep farm. And funny enough, I was a literal shepherd for a lot of my life. And for all of us, all of us, leaders, those in the congregation, all of us are sheep. And guess what? Sheep are the stupidest animal on the planet. We need guidance. We need help. All of us, from the leader with the most influence to the youngest amongst us, we all need each other. And so if there's things that are going on in your life, if there's struggles, if there's anxieties, if there's decisions that you are facing, I would encourage you, don't hold those into yourself. Cast those to the Lord, as we'll see here in a few verses, but seek accountability, seek community. We as your pastors would love to serve you. We would love to point you to people and groups of people in our church that would love to come alongside of you and walk with you through those struggles, through those decisions. We would love to serve you in that way. But we are so thankful that for all of us, we have the perfect example, the good shepherd that is above us looking out for his flock. And there is nothing more that Jesus cares about than his sheep. And with authority, Jesus in John chapter 10, he's talking to this group of people and he says, I am the good shepherd. When the sheep come into my pasture, they will not leave. Not one of my sheep will be lost, he says. Jesus goes on to say that I will leave the 99 and I will go after the one lost sheep and I will bring them back. My shepherding, my leadership will never fail in the lives of my sheep. And we can be so thankful for that this morning, that that is true. And that when we step into a relationship with Jesus, when we enter into his pasture, And when we are looking to him as our shepherd, we can trust, we can know, we never have to doubt that he is always, always, always going to lead us where he wants us to go. It might not look exactly the way we planned because there might be times when we try to flee where we're gonna stumble and and fall, we're gonna rebel but he will bring us back with a strong and mighty hand and he will redeem us and restore us. And we can, with confidence, know that one day, one day he is going to return and bring us back to him and he will be with us forever. That humility is exactly what Peter is telling these leaders to embody and to follow but he doesn't just stop with the elders and the leaders of the church. He's talking to the younger. In in verse five, he says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, in humility, I would consider myself probably on the younger spectrum here. Okay, if I was sitting in that group of people, I would probably have considered myself in the younger crowd that he was speaking to. And this truth 
is something that all of us who are younger need to hear and understand. Because our flourishing relationship with Christ depends on this. We as younger people who are sitting in here today, we need those who are older and wiser than us. Because we who are younger do not have all the answers. Those who are older in here are smiling and shaking their heads yes, saying amen. But the reality is we need those who are older to realize that you do have a gift to give to those of us who are younger. Because our culture, our American culture, if you go to the stores, it's all over the place. Anti-aging this, anti-aging that. I'm all for working out and being physically fit for as long as possible. But we cross a line when we start worshiping youthfulness. Because the Bible praises the aged. The Bible sees age and, and gray hair as a gift from God. In Proverbs 16, 31, it says that gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by the way of righteousness. Those who are older in years in our community, those who are older in the faith in our community have a precious gift to bless all of us who are younger. Peter recognizes that and he is commanding, he is imploring, encouraging those who are younger to submit yourselves to the leadership of the church and to those who are older and wiser than them. And for us who are younger, if we want a flourishing relationship in Jesus Christ, that is a monster step. If you want to grow in your faith and you are younger, I would encourage you, find someone that is older than you, that is older in years and older in the faith. Take the initiative. Write them a letter. Send them a text. They might not text back very fast, but that's okay. And say, hey, could we get coffee once a month? Could we meet up? Could we enter into a relationship where we just meet together and if I have questions, I'd love to hear your input. And just an open relationship of discipleship. That would be, I absolutely 100% know without a shadow of a doubt, those who are younger would be benefited and would grow from that kind of relationship. And so seek that out. Peter's recognizing that it's important for the younger to submit and be humbled towards those who are older. He wraps all of us up in the second half of this verse. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We've talked a lot from this stage. Pastor Jim, I love when he talks from Ephesians 6 about putting on the full armor of God. He talks about how we literally can put these items onto ourselves as we step into our day, Peter is saying we need to clothe ourselves every morning with humility. All of us. All of us. Because he knows that all of us have this bent, this natural inclination to step into our day thinking, man, I got this. I've got this all together. And I'm ready to roll. But the reality is pride comes before the fall. 
when we become sure of ourselves, that is when destruction happens. This was painted so clearly for me as I was a senior, going into my senior year of high school, and we were playing in an AAU game in Fort Wayne, and we were playing against a team called the Spice Indy Heat, and this team had a guy on it by the name of Deshaun Thomas. That next season, he would go on to win Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. He would go on to play for Ohio State, and he had a great pro career overseas. Incredible player. He's about 6'8", couple inches taller than me, could jump out of the gym, was an incredible basketball player, an incredible athlete. But Deshaun knew what his abilities were. No one had to tell him. He never had to be reminded of how good he was. He was a very pleasant guy. And our team played him, and I prided myself on being a defender. I would score some points here and there, but I loved, I loved looking at the other team's best player and seeing how I could defend them to shut them down or to minimize their effectiveness. And so we were getting ready to play Deshaun, and I knew I'm guarding Deshaun. And for the first, the first half, I, we were, I was playing pretty well. And my confidence, honestly, my pride in myself just grew and grew and grew. Deshaun had a couple points, but all the people that were in that gym watching him play because he was such a good player we're probably expecting them to go off for 50 in the first half. And so I was feeling really, really good. And, and we were really tight. It was like a two, three-point game. 30 seconds in the first half, and Deshaun just takes the ball. He just backs it up. He got the ball. They got the rebound. And he just backs it up to half court and just starts dribbling out the clock all by himself. And I'm waiting back at the three-point line. And I was like, man, this guy is good. I, I can't give him a full head of steam coming at the basket. And so I kind of just like slowly start hedging up, making my way up there to finally, I'm, I'm chest to chest with him. I'm challenging him. 10 seconds goes by, Deshaun makes his move. He dribble left, crossover back to his, his right. And I'm right with him. He's not getting in front of me. He's not blitzing past me for a tomahawk, which he normally could always do. And I'm staying right with him. I'm right, right there. Everything's good. My confidence is building. I'm feeling great. I'm like, this is, like, I'm going to shut him down. And we're going to go right into the second half with a lot of momentum. But Deshaun comes super hard at me with the right hand. And I'm just right in front of him, just kind of backing up, trying to brace against him. And he just cross, comes back behind the back dribble to his left. He was left-handed, top of the key a foot behind the three-point line, and he just comes back, fading away, top of the key, my hand in his face. There was nothing more I could have done. I was like, he is going to brick this shot, and we are going to go in with a full head of steam to halftime. And I turn, and it is nothing but net. <laughs> and my heart my demeanor, the crowd, I mean, the crowd is going crazy. If you're a basketball fan, it was one of those shots that you make that it just like electrifies the crowd. There was nothing more I could have done. And he just, he, he, he did not have to say anything. It's one of the, it's horrible, but it's one of the best moments in a basketball player's <laughs> career is when you can just look at somebody and you don't even have to say anything. The action has proved worthy. And that is exactly what happened. He just kind of looked at me and gave me a little smile and a wink and walked back to his bench. 
And I just walked with my head down back to mine, and Deshaun went on to score a lot in the second half, and they smoked us. Long story short, but I recognized, and Peter's telling these people, listen, God opposes the proud. He's against, it's not, for God, it's not just that he simply advises against pride, he is opposed to those who are proud and completely sure of themselves. Peter wants us to be humble, is what he's writing to these people. God is saying, listen, my son, my glorious son, Jesus Christ came down to the earth as the perfect model. Mark 10, 45 said he came as a man not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. He did not consider equality with God, which is something to be grasped and pondered on. Like Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he came to serve us. That's an incredible mystery. And because that is exactly how God's plan flowed out into our world, and that's exactly how Jesus embodied himself as he came to this earth, God just does not simply advise against pride. He opposes it with everything that he is. He hates it. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and, and you've been living your life, you've been going through the motions, thinking that, I got this. Things are gonna be okay. I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty young. I got my stuff together. I got a good job. I got a good house. My family's doing okay. The kids aren't going out of control. And maybe you're stepping in here and you've, you've been living apart from God. We're here to be reminded that if we see ourselves as not needing God, that is pride. And God is opposed to those who are proud. Every single one of us in this building this morning, my hope is that you would see that you need, you need the favor of God on your life. You need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give to you. Pride is the only poison that is good when it is swallowed. Go before the Lord and say, Jesus, here is my sin. Here is my guilt. Here are my worries. Here are my anxieties. Take them. The great thing is Jesus already knows them. The Bible said that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Paul says in Romans 5. Jesus already knew everything about us. He knew your failures. He knew your sin. He knew your temptations. He knew the pride that you were susceptible to. And still he said, I'm going to the cross and I will come back to life three days later so that they, my sheep, can have victory. 
so that they, my sheep, can have my favor and my grace every single day that they wake up to face the trials and the situations that they will encounter and endure. And so we need to see that this humility is vital. If we want to flourish in Christ, this humility is not an option. It's something that we must fight for, that we must clothe ourselves with on a daily basis. He goes on to say in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Oftentimes when people would come into to, to my office or into the office of our pastors and they're going through a troublesome situation and they're filled with worry, they're filled with anxiety, maybe it's a, a decision, a fork in the road and, and they have to choose or they're going through a hardship or a loss and we would often, I would often share this verse but this verse has come alive to me, this passage has come alive to me in these last three months when one of the greatest men that I knew was, was, was suddenly taken from this earth. And the pain that, that myself, my family has felt in that loss and in his absence has been tremendous and, and real and raw. And many of you sitting in this room today have felt that exact same thing. You felt that pain. You felt that stress. Some of you right now are sitting in the midst of that worry and in that anxiety. This is not just a cop-out verse where we say, just give it to God. This means everything. Because when Peter references, humble yourselves under the might, God's mighty hand, he's alluding back to the book of Exodus when God's mighty hand was shown in bringing the Israelites out of their bondage from Egypt. This is what God is speaking to Moses in Exodus chapter three. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go but he doesn't stop there. I will not just let you go, he says. This is what he says. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your own sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians." The mighty hand of God is proven. The mighty hand of God is capable. The mighty hand of God is filled with redemption and deliverance that he has shown over and over and over and over again. And he doesn't just stop by simply rescuing. He goes on to promise that he will restore and give back what we all have lost. And so Peter here, this is not a cop-out. When he says, give your anxiety to God, 
He knows that when we humble ourselves to do that, when we recognize our need for him, and we make that step to trust, we will be met with peace. That is a promise that we can count on. We will experience the gift of peace in our trial after we actively throw the worry and stress at Jesus. This humility will lead to blessing. I'm not sure if you're into baseball or not, but you can get the picture. God doesn't simply want us to softball toss our anxieties and our worries at him. He doesn't want us to just simply take our sin and the things that we've been struggling with and being anxious over and just kind of say, oh, here, God, here you go. He wants you to wad those things up. He wants you to get on your knees before him and he wants you to chuck a 99 mile an hour fastball straight to heaven. That's what this casting means. It's not simply a a soft toss. It is a hurl. Because we are not strong enough to carry them. If we choose to carry them in our pride, if we say, man, I got this. I am strong enough. I can handle this on my own. I don't need to give them to God. I don't need the community of believers. If that is where we stand, we will fall because we are not strong enough on our own. God wants it, and his mighty hand is capable of receiving it and driving you to redemption and deliverance. That is what he promises. He goes on to talk, and he urges us, he reminds us that we are to be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan wants to isolate you. That is his mission. He wants you to begin thinking that you are okay. That you have what it takes. He wants you to begin thinking like, man, you haven't struggled with this for weeks. Man, I'm starting to feel pretty good about this. I'm starting to feel pretty confident. He wants you to start feeling sure of yourself. Because he knows that when you start drawing away from your dependence on the grace of God and your dependence on the body of believers, he has you exactly where he wants you. And Peter says he is looking to eat you and devour you. So stand firm together in humility, seeing your need for him and seeing your need for one another. The two go together. The attitude of all I need is God and I don't need any of you, that is a total lie. Jesus says, if you love me, you will love my people. Our reflection for our dependence on one another and our dependence for loving and humbling ourselves to one another is a reflection of our relationship with God. We are stronger when we are together. I love our church in that we have women's ministries like training camp and men's ministries like fight club where we create these communities of fellowship and accountability. We need those. 
Because he goes on to say, remember, there are believers all around the world that are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings as you. You are not alone in your sufferings. You are not alone in your struggles. Isn't it comforting to know when you are going through hell on earth that you can look across an aisle and you can know, man, they're with me. I'm not alone. At Rotaheaver Hill in, in Winona Lake, every preseason conditioning, we had to run that awful, awful hill to get in shape for the long, grueling season. And I can assure you, every single preseason conditioning, I was on the sideline in the bushes puking my guts out because I felt like I could not keep going. But even as I was on my knees in the bushes puking my guts out, there was something comforting knowing that I looked out and, man, my brothers are with me in this. They are hurting with me. They are struggling with me. And you feel strong in that. It brings you up to your feet and says, I'm going to keep going because they are with me. And that's what Peter's reminding these Christians of. You are not alone. And we need each other. Humility in Christ will lead us to flourishing leadership. Obedience towards one another and trust in him. Some things that we can take away this morning as, as he goes on to wrap up this, this incredible letter. He sums up his entire mission in verse 12. He says, I write to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And he ends by saying peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the grace of God that Peter is talking about in chapter 1 that angels long to look into. Heavenly beings who are perfect in their adoration and worship of God. Who say, we long to look into what that is like to be away from God, to be a sinner apart from God. And then for God to step in through Jesus and say, you are forgiven you are clean from all of that sin. Angels long to look into that grace. And this is the grace that Peter is talking about us, humbling ourselves underneath. Don't you want to humble yourself under that grace today? Don't you want to cast, don't you want to hurl and give all of your worries and your anxiety and your sin to him because he cares for you, he wants you to receive that truth this morning. In closing, if, if you have a position of leadership as we wrap this up, as we look to, to step away from this, some points to consider that if you have a position of leadership, lead willingly, honestly, eagerly. Be an example that you would want others to follow. Find someone younger in years and in the faith that you personally could pour your wisdom into. If you are younger in years, humble yourself to realize you don't have all the answers. You need help. Seek help from those who are older and wiser than you, and you will flourish. Throw 
your worries at Jesus. Give him the position to care for you and restore you. Fight sin through submitting yourself to God's truth and the honest accountability of community. And remember, be encouraged that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. He is not a dead hope. I talk to our kids all the time about that. Jesus is not a dead hope. He is a living hope because he is alive. He conquered death. He conquered sin. And because of that, we can always and forever look to him because the dominion, his power will reign forever and ever. And to that we can say amen. And we can be encouraged by that this morning. I want to lift your eyes because in our world today and all the crazy stuff that's happening, the crazy stuff that was happening in our audience's life in 1 Peter and the crazy stuff that's happening in our lives, the struggles, the pain that you have, this is not the end. This is not our home. And because of the living hope of Christ, this is what he promises. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want that? Don't you want to long for that more and more and more in your life? Because as we humble ourselves to that grace, to that hope, to that Lord, we will be drawn to humble ourselves to one another. We will be drawn to lift our eyes from ourselves and we will be drawn to serve and love one another just as Christ wants us to. Humility in Christ will lead to flourishing leadership, obedience, and truth. Would you pray with me? Lord, God, we long for that day when you will come and you will restore us. You will make us new. You will be with us and we will see your face. God, I pray that that hope, that that joy would fill our hearts this morning. I pray that that would give us a greater love for you. I pray that that would draw us to humble ourselves before you and that that would lead us to humble ourselves, to serve and to love one another from the leader to the youngest. Grow us in our love for you and for one another. We pray in Christ's name, amen.